Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with another episode of The Yacking Show, the show that provides you with a wider range of actionable business ideas and tips than you'll find practically anywhere else on the internet. And don't miss out on our future exciting guests. Sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, theyackingshow.com. First, let me introduce co-host Kathleen from down the road in Waterloo, Ontario. Hi, Kathleen. How are we doing today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you. And thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you and we love reading your comments. So please keep those coming. And if anyone is interested in being a guest on our show, please visit us at theyackingshow.com. Click on the contacts tab where you will find a short application form. We would love to hear from you. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. His name is Peter Christian, coming to us from Tampa, Florida. Hello, Peter. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing today? Excellent. Good. Now, Peter is a uh, Peter Christian is a speaker, Amazon best-selling author, and business management consultant with over forty years of professional experience. He will be speaking to us today about some of his achievements, how he was able to make them happen, and more importantly, how this information can help you. So first, uh, Peter, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to move from the corporate executive management into the consulting world? Okay. Well, uh, I started as an engineer, uh, started working at Air Products and Chemicals, uh, spent about two years there, and then left and went to Crayola Corporation, where I spent 17 years starting as an engineer, uh, wound up uh, a director in various disciplines, including quality, operations, research, and development. Uh, When that time was due, and that happens in large corporations uh, through a variety of things, uh, uh, people who do a great job and are very dedicated to their company, all of a sudden there's a change in management personnel and the new people come in who want uh, their own people, who they feel more comfortable with for whatever reason, and uh, changes are made. Well, that kind of happened with me. So uh, there was a parting of the ways between myself and and the folks at Crayola, who I still have a very high regard for. It's a great company. Um, But uh, as I was looking for what next, uh, the person who was advising me on career opportunities said, you know, you did a lot of consulting when you were at Crayola, believe it or not. Why don't you consider your hand at doing that? Now, I had considered that coming out of college. I had a uh, job offer from Price Waterhouse at the time to uh, to be a consultant. And I thought, I'm just coming out of school. I really don't know all that much other than what I learned in books and so forth. So for me to go and sit with somebody 20 years my senior and tell them what they should or shouldn't be doing, it seems kind of like a stretch to me. Well, after having about 20 years of practical experience in the corporate world, I felt uh, that I was ready to do that and I did. So I got involved in consulting first through Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and then through that started my own organization with five partners and got into, uh, as you said, business consulting uh, and have basically done that ever since. Mm-hmm. Wow, very good. Very good. So, Peter, I know that you you had tremendous success at Crayola, and I, I think you achieved 700% growth in your time there. So how, how did you how did you do that? that, that, that is That's huge phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't just I, I will be honest with you and your audience. It was a number of people who all pitched together 
uh, and worked hard and uh, helped the company to grow through uh, through some interesting times. Because uh, you might say, well, who are the competitors for Crayola? I can't think of another company that's really in the children's art market. Well, that's pretty much true. But during my stay there, uh, this little thing called um, video games and computers and the Internet showed up. And all of a sudden we were competing for children's uh, leisure time. Mm -hmm. Okay, Uh, so we had to come up with a strategy on how to compete with basically what was a non-traditional competitor. And we did. Uh, We targeted children 4 to 12, which was our our main audience, okay, because that's where children are growing. They're using their imaginations, which was great for our type of product. You put a a marker or a crayon or a paintbrush in a kid's hands and turn them to it, and they can come up with all sorts of interesting ideas. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we focused on that. Uh, We didn't try to compete with the uh with the video games and the internet but what we did is we tried to work along with them uh to uh say you know when you're tired of playing that game sit down and and use your imagination don't let it be somebody else's and it was very very successful in addition we also started to vertically integrate some of our operations which we had uh, contracted outside. Uh, so we got more control of them and, and made them work better and more efficiently and more profitably. So it was a variety of different things by myself and a number of people. But uh, as you, you pointed out, it was a pretty phenomenal growth. 700% is a pretty good number. That's for sure. And now, of course, I've got to jump in quick. Crayola has another target market, and that's adults with adult coloring books, which is quite a craze, right? <laughs> yes. Well, even at the time we were in the adult market, uh, we owned a company called Liquitex. It was permanent pigments when uh, okay. Crayola bought it. And they competed with uh, Grumbacher and Windsor and & Newton and, and companies along that lines. Well, eventually, uh, the company decided to get out of that. Like I said, when we went to the 4- to 12-year-old market, uh, watercolors and acrylics and so forth were not mm-hmm. in the picture. So, uh, unfortunately, Crayola sold that business, but uh, we worked in that as well. But, you know, they're kind of seeping back into the adult market. People like me that get a little older, we, we need coloring books again, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. Back to Kathleen. So, uh, Peter, in your consulting, you help businesses in many different disciplines, including project management, operational strategic planning, and many others. How did you acquire your expertise in so many areas, which is, to me, phenomenal? Well, first of all, Crayola gave me the opportunity to get involved in a lot of things outside of my job description. So I worked uh, with finance people. I worked with quality people. I worked with sales and marketing, even though I wasn't one of them. And I got to learn a lot of different aspects about the business and how they all interconnect and how one thing influences the other and so forth. Uh, I was also able to take coursework, which I did in, in a variety of different things. So there was ongoing education other than you know, getting another degree, but CEU type of coursework and so forth. So I took the advantage of those opportunities. And when things cropped up, I was there to volunteer and say, yeah, I'll get involved in that. I'll try that or I'll take that over. So those opportunities gave me that breadth of experience 
uh, particularly throughout the corporation and how things work. So then when I went into the consulting world, uh, it was a pretty easy move to now look at other companies and know what was going on in one place and how it was impacting another and so forth. And I think that made for a very successful um bridge over to the consulting world and and made me confident then that I could talk to the people who are now 20 years my senior or maybe the same age as me uh, with confidence and, and to prove to them that I had done stuff. That's what people want to see. They want to see what you've accomplished before they're ready to turn over the keys to you, so to speak. So uh, uh, it was that opportunity that I had at Crayola that I took advantage of. And hopefully uh, other people that are listening who have that opportunity will, will take advantage of it as well. It, it's a great thing. It, it allows you to do a lot of different things. Yes, I think, right. I think you're right. I think that is a very important message for anyone listening is that especially if you're in the corporate world and they offer you these types of opportunities, courses, because they usually pay for them or subsidize them for sure. Um, I mean, what a, it's it's something that you can learn uh, while you're working. It's uh, it's really a wonderful opportunity to take advantage mm -hmm. of for sure. That's a that's a great message, Peter. Thank you. It and yeah, it helped me both at Crayola. It helped to advance my career. And then when I left Crayola, it certainly opened up a whole new world to me because I had uh, that experience and, and it opened up a whole bunch of new opportunities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's the second important lesson you're, you're giving our audience, and I've experienced this myself when I was in the corporate world, that people say, well, you go and work on your own. It's risky. I want the security of working for a big company. And I saw casualties when I was in the corporate world in a merger between two large groups and managing directors, as we call them over there, and chief engineers with 20, 30 years experience were suddenly, they didn't fit the new mold and suddenly said, off you go. So if you can learn as you did and then turn it into your advantage when you do leave, so much the better. Right. So, Peter, that leads me to something I've always struggled with. And I wanted to ask you that in my experience in the corporate world many years ago, and even my own company dealing with other businesses, inertia is a huge problem when you're trying to introduce change. And I know one of the things you, you do is introduce continuous uh, improvement programs. So how do you come overcome that inertia? You know the story, well, we've always done it this way. How do you get around that one? Yeah, well, it's not just that, but there's also in, in a lot of cases you run into, oh, well, we tried that before. Mm -hmm. And it didn't work. So why is it going to work this time, which may be e even as more deadly as the inertia of we've always done it this way. Um, I like to I like to relate, again, my experiences. So, again, uh, the folks know that I'm coming from a background where I've had success. And I also talk about some of the failures and how things didn't work and, and things that we aren't going to try uh, because we're not trying to to just experiment, but we want to, to get success out of it. Uh, and what it means to them, all right? A lot of people say, oh, well, yeah, well, the company certainly wants us to make the change because they want to be more profitable. What What's in it for me? That, that WIFM uh, type yeah. of thing. Uh, so to sit and talk to them about it, and then also to get their viewpoints, find out what they see are the problems. And if they had the opportunity to change what would they change and why would they change it? Because a lot of times people are told that's not your job. 
Just mm-hmm. do your job. Yep. We'll take care of that stuff. Okay. And they, there, there's a ton of good information there. The person who's doing the job knows the most about it. They're the expert. Why don't you listen to them? And uh, even at my days at Crayola, I worked with some of the old timers, so to speak, before Cray- Crayola was a big name company. Uh, and I heard about what they went through and, and the history and, and it fascinated me. And they, they just love to talk. People love to talk about their experiences if you yeah. give them the opportunity and listen to them. So I learned that early on. And that's how I approached it with my client companies. Uh, in some cases, it didn't work. There were always going to be the doubters, the doubting Thomases. But in a lot of cases, it did because people don't want to deal with problems on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I can't wait to find out what headache I'm going to run into today. They want to go to work. They want to accomplish what they need to accomplish. They don't want to have to deal with problems if they don't have to. Uh, So if you can help to remove those things and, again, give them more experience, knowledge, and hopefully open up opportunities to them, I think, uh, by and large, a lot of people are receptive to that. Again, not everybody is. Not everybody will be. Uh, but if you can get enough converts, OK, the others will take care of themselves. They'll either jump on board because they see that others are doing well or they're going to disqualify themselves and they're probably going to leave because uh, they're left out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. So as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, you are an Amazon bestselling author. In fact, you've written two Amazon bestselling books. Can you tell us about those? Sure. The first one is called What What About the Vermin Problem? And the <laughs> genesis of that was as I was working both in the corporate world and also as a consultant, also in the corporate world, uh, I would come across some interesting cases, stories of people and activities and, and organizations and, and good decisions and bad decisions. And I would say to my colleagues, you know, that should be in our book. And they go, absolutely, our book. Uh, it turned out to be my book. Well, one day it was time to write that book. So I took some of the experiences because I didn't use all of them. I I have tons of them. But I took what I thought were the most interesting and I wrote about them. And then I worked with somebody who helped me to organize it better. Because when you write a book and you've done it for the first time, you really don't know what you're doing. But you write and you got it. and You go, okay, now what do I do with it? Uh, And she helped me to organize it into uh, a better collection that dealt with very good experiences, uh, not so good experiences, and some very bad where companies either succeeded very, very well or they fell on their face because they made bad choices. And that's what this is about. It's just to talk about the choices that we make as people and organizations and um, what the ramifications are. And I always like to say there's a very fine line between being very successful and being not successful, depending on the choice that you make. Mm-hmm. And we, we make them every day, all right, for whatever reason. So it's to point out to people what choices to make. Uh, there are a variety of different uh, sections in there, like commitment. Uh, you had talked about, you know, inertia in companies. Well, some of that is a lack of commitment. People mm-hmm. say, I want to change, but when you present them with what they need to change, they go, oh, wait a minute, I don't want to go there. Well, they weren't really committed then, because if they were, if the pain was great enough, they would want to make that change. Yep. Okay? Yep. Uh, and the, the 
the title of the book, What About the Vermin Problem, comes from one of the stories that I have in there about uh. communication or lack of communication, uh, where we went through a whole study to uh, to develop a uh, a development plan for a facility for the company. Uh, and at the last minute, as we're presenting our findings, the owner goes, well, what about the vermin problem? <laughs> well, in the entire time that we had been doing this study, not one issue came up about vermin okay, and a problem, uh, which is fairly important, you would think, when you're working with a consultant to tell them what, what's going on. Uh, so we had to deal with that. So communication is another thing that's in there that's very important. The second book, Influences and Influencers, I was challenged to write a second book after doing the first. Because uh, I didn't realize that all authors are supposed to write more than one book. So I found that out. Uh, and I thought about it for a bit and said, well, I talked about choices. Well, what causes you to make the choices? So what I started to think about were the people and the things in my life that influenced me, that kind of made me who I am today, got me thinking the way I think and, and acting the way I act. And I started to put those experiences down now in a more structured manner, because I was working with the same person who was now telling me the right way to write a book instead <laughs> of the first way. Uh, and we put that together. And that's what it is. It, it's a recognition of the things that had an impact on me and probably have an impact on other people, too, not through the same instances and people as I did, but through similar experience as, and so forth. And to get them to recognize that there are those influences in your life and, and they're good and they're not so good. And you have, again, choices to make, but they will form your core of, of your values and, and how you look at things and evaluate things and act on things and so forth. And uh, it's a continuing process. It never stops. There are, today, there are influences on me that changed my viewpoint a little bit from what it was before. The world changes, and, and so do I. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. But not. But I still have that mainstay core value that I established a long time ago. And it's also to recognize the people that helped me. And I hope that I did during the time that they did. But if not, this book is an homage to some of those folks. Uh, and again, to tell people, there are a lot of people out there who want to help you too. take that help. You don't have to do all of this on your own. In fact, you're, you're foolish if you do, because nobody knows everything. Nobody knows how to do everything. So the more help you can get, the better it will be. Great words. Yeah. I think for, for the benefit advice. of our listeners, uh, Peter, you'll probably put um, the links to those books. The, the links sure. to those books will be definitely on in the description. And so okay. our audio listeners can pick that up as well. Okay. So, Peter, I, I read in a management book many years ago, and it might have been Tom Peters, but I can't remember who. So forgive me if I haven't got the uh, correct attribution. And the statement was, culture trumps strategy every time. Mm -hmm. is, is this uh, sort of what you were talking about before, about difficulties of getting change in? Did you find that as a problem? Yes. I think if you don't have a culture, if you don't have a foundation that you're coming from, then how are you going to de develop a strategy? Where mm -hmm. are you going to come from? And where are you going to go to? And how are you going to evaluate the progress that you're making? Uh, it, uh, again, I, I started as an engineer, an industrial engineer, and one of the things I always learned was before you make any change to something, you have to standardize it, you have to know about it, 
Okay. And, and then from there you make the changes and then you evaluate the changes that you made and, and whether they're successful or not and how uh -huh. successful they were. And that's true, you know, with the statement that you had about culture and strategy, how can you develop a strategy when you don't have a, a foundation to work from and a basis and, and knowing where you're at today and where you want to go tomorrow and what's that going to mean for the culture uh, of yourself and, and your organization? Uh, how are they going to have to modify some of their actions and beliefs and so forth in order to, to face those new things? Uh, when I worked at Crayola, uh, we didn't have personal computers. Personal mm -hmm. computers were not a thing. Mm -hmm. I had the first official personal computer in Crayola history. Uh, because up to then everything was mainframe and you had to run it through the mainframe yep. and, and wait for, you know, days and whatever to get it back and, and all that stuff. And I had to sign a letter with the finance department that I would not be doing any financial analysis on this personal computer that I was getting, which was a bold-faced lie, because that's exactly what I was What you doing. ordered it for. <laughs> I was told that I had to control the capital of the company. Well, how do you do that? A pencil and a paper was not going to cut millions of dollars nope. worth of spending, so we need a personal computer, and I got one. Um, and then after that, it kind of took off, and it, not because of me, but the company realized that it was the, the way to go and the thing to do. But I had the first one, a little known fact. I'm not sure it's in the annals of Crayola history, but it is there. I had the first one. Uh, so well, it's interesting. So, And you have to adapt to that stuff then. Yeah. Now it was a whole new world. Now you're putting the data in there. Now you're doing the manipulations. Now you got to check to make sure everything is okay instead of giving it to somebody else and, and getting the feed. So <laughs> it's that type of stuff that you have to do. It must be a Peter thing because coincidentally at the law, very large company I worked at, I was the first manager to get a IBM PC um, when they first came out. And, and I couldn't keep the people out of my office because they all wanted to come and see the damn thing. Huh? Can you and imagine it, the world without PCs today? Okay. I mean, yeah, I know. my and, goodness, people yeah. look at you like, huh? Yeah, right. Right. you tell them about cards and putting them into the computer, and they're oh, going, yes. "What are you talking about?" Code sheets. Yep. yep. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that was the floppy disk era, and I mean that thing was it had a fraction of the computing power of a mobile phone nowadays. Uh, anyway, so we 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 mentioned strategy. So let's look forward. And what advice could you give our our audience of business owners and entrepreneurs? In the in the disrupted post pandemic period we're heading into with fears of recession and and all sorts of turmoil, uh, what element of strategic planning going forward do you think would be the most important for them to consider? Well, one of the things I was influenced by was there was a study done back in the '90s in Lehigh University by a couple of professors and a non professor about why company why certain companies were so successful. And they, they studied it and they, they labeled it agility. So they didn't invent mm -hmm. agility. They discovered what they were, do, what, what they were doing, those companies and, and why they were successful. I think that still rings true today mm -hmm. because one of the first premises of agility is the ability to adapt to the changing times. How many companies can you imagine in the last 10, 15, 20 years that didn't adapt? And they're in the saga or the dustbin of history now. Yep. Okay. But they were leaders. They were leaders yep. at the time. Sears Roebuck yep. was the largest retailer in the United States. They also started catalog sales. And where's Sears Roebuck today? Okay. Nowhere. 
Blockbuster Video. Remember going yep. to rent the videos at, at Blockbuster Video? No more Blockbuster Video today. This little came along and destroyed them. Mm-hmm. Uh, little Amazon is the grade. Uh, you know, uh, box stores are basically going by the wayside. You can click on uh, Amazon and order anything you want and get it the next day or maybe even the same mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so companies have to adapt to those changes. They have to see what's coming, not after the fact. They need to know what's going on and they need to be reacting to it, just like Crayola did. Like I said, non-traditional competitor in video games and and internet and and so forth. And we had to adapt and we had to do it pretty quickly because that wave took Mm -hmm. over and man, it was a wave. Uh, And you could get swept away by the wave. So companies need to do that. So it's agility. It's the ability to do that. Other principles are utilizing your people and depending mm-hmm. on your people and, and training your people. You know, don't don't just have them sit there taking commands and doing stuff by rote. You want them thinking. You want them active. In it, you want them thinking about their jobs like we talked about with continuous improvement and making changes. Get the people who are doing it. Make the changes. Describe to them what the problem is and say, here it is. What do you think? Right. That type of stuff. So it's that type of thing that companies need to be doing. They need to be doing it all the time, maybe even more so now because mm-hmm. change is happening so rapidly. But I think throughout history, that, that's necessary. Um, because, again, you can look back at the annals and see co- great companies that don't exist anymore yep. uh, that right. were the leaders at one time. And you would think, oh, they're going to be around forever. Nah, wrong. Right. They aren't. They aren't. Yeah. So, so what is the most common management problem that you find when you're called in to help a client is there is there one uh, there are uh, let's start with the three-letter word ego mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a big one yeah. because when you go in if the manager you're talking to or the executive is the problem and you're trying to tell them and they have a big ego they don't want to admit that it's their yeah. fault that something is going on uh, so that can certainly be one, particularly where you have uh, privately held businesses mm-hmm. because it's their baby. All yep. right. They created yep. it. They brought it up to the point there it's at. They've made all the decisions, you know, and, and so forth. And now somebody else is telling them, well, you need to try to do it or you need to do it this way. And they're going, well, you know, no, I, I should know better. And I, I've had that with a, a number of clients that I work with. All right. Uh, and some of them went out of business riding mm-hmm. that uh, that horse down the road that it was their baby and they knew better than everybody else. Uh, again, a willingness to change. Um, executives are, are almost as difficult as individuals working for a company to change. We're all creatures of habit. We get comfortable with what we're doing. And even though we know that some things may not be right and wrong, we're used to it. Again, there's that saying, knowing the devil that you know versus the devil that you don't. You don't know. Same thing is true there. Okay. They get afraid. Well, what happens? What? Well, if it happens, then you'll adjust to it. You've got to work it through. Nobody's going to give you the perfect solution. And there's no magic wand. Uh, some people think there's a magic wand. You wave it and all is well. No, it's hard work. It yeah. really is. And I try to get that across to clients. It's a very hard work. And don't look for me to be making the changes. You need to be making the changes right. because I'm here to advise and to help you help, but not to do it for you 
because I'm going to walk out the door someday. And if you're not doing it on your own, guess what? It's going to fall <laughs> apart. So don't look at Pete Christian or somebody like me uh, to, to make it all better for you. It's up to you to make it better for you. So if you're not bought in, don't even get started. Save your, save your time, save your energy, save your money, save your worries and everything else. And uh, maybe you'll you'll make it. And then again, maybe you won't. That's up to you. We, again, we all have choices to make. So, right. yeah, so good I would one. say there, there's a number of things. There was more than one. But it starts with ego, I think, is Thank a big you. one. That's a good, yeah. I think you're right there. That's an important so, we, we're getting close to the end of our time. And there's one I've got to ask you. We ask all our successful guests this one. Pete, you've, you've spoken about agility being important for business survival. But if we mm-hmm. look at the personal level, is, is there, in your experience, is there one uh, characteristic value, mindset, habit that successful leaders, and I don't just mean making a lot of money. I mean, people who leave, lead well-balanced lives. Is there a single difference between them and those who remain average, or is it more complicated? I think that I just it's funny. I was just writing about that. I wrote an article on success today. It's the next article that'll be coming out uh, and about people that are successful versus not. And the ones who are, uh, they have confidence in themselves and their decisions. Not everybody does. They're mm-hmm. always questioning their decisions. Uh, there's perseverance. All yeah. right. Uh, when they hit the bump in the road, guess what? They go around it or they go over it, but they don't stop and go, oh, I can't go any further because there's this bump in the road and I've got to stop. Okay, Uh, when things go wrong and they will in everybody's life and in every way, shape or form, it doesn't stop them. They go, oh, that's one more thing I have to overcome. Okay, I got that out of the way. Now I can continue doing what I'm doing. I think those types of things. All right. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the people who are very successful, I, I watch uh, shows on TV, uh, on History Channel about the things that made America great, whether it's food or industry or toys or whatever. And you notice a lot of those people, they started not at the top of their game. Right. In fact, a lot of them lost their jobs or they had failed at something else, but they had something in mind and they didn't let go of it. They were determined and they knew that what they were thinking about was right. They might not know the right way to get there, but they were determined to. And John D. Rockefeller was one. Andrew Carnegie was another one. Uh, you know, you can go down again, the, the line of history of successful people. They all had failures in their life. And guess what? It didn't stop them. They kept going. And that's why they were successful. And that's why we hear their names today. And that's why they write books about them and so forth. Not everybody is like that. That's just the way it is. But the successful ones are. Thanks, well, Peter. Thanks. That's really good. We are running low on time. Um, how do people contact you? Uh, three ways. Uh, one, I have a profile on LinkedIn. So mm-hmm. if you look for Peter Christian and dig me out from the other Peter Christians, somewhat common name, uh, author, speaker, uh, adjunct professor, you can find me. Uh, you can email me at uh, ph, which are my initials, Christian, the number 53 at gmail.com. And then you had asked about my book, uh, you can find more about it on my website, which is Pete. So leave the R off, PeteChristianBooks.com. All right. And I have a website there. It talks all about my books. Also has a bunch of articles that I've written. 
uh, lots of stuff and you can get in touch with me. Uh, there's a, a place where you can send me a note and we can correspond or you can put through the others through LinkedIn if you want to connect or through my email if you want to email back and forth. So any one of those three. Thanks, Shmita. Yeah. Thank you so much. What a what an honor it has been to have you on our show today. Thank you so much Absolutely. for joining us. And thank, thank you. It's my the honor is mine as, as well. So thank oh. you very much for having me. And once again, we thank you all for tuning into our show. And until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.